0: All right, have you ever been sitting in an academic setting, maybe in a classroom, uh, maybe in middle school, high school, college, maybe some technical school, whatever schooling you have ever had or been a part of. Have you ever been sitting there and it comes over you like, like a cloud or like Superman's cape and it hits you, the material that I'm studying I will never need again ever in life. Has that ever happened? Has it ever come upon you like, yo, this stuff right here that I'm being forced to learn, that I'm being asked, that I'm going to be tested on, I would ne- I'm never going to use this again. Was, is it just me? I remember being in high school uh, in chemistry class, and the challenge was to learn the periodic table. And I was like, bet. I like challenges, right, Cousin B? I like challenges. I'm going to step up. I'm going to be the man. I'm going to know every chemical compound on this joint. Guaranteed. I get home, I'm studying, I'm, and all the letters just start blending together, all the chemical. I'm like, yo, I can't, this is too much. And it hits me right there in that moment, I realize I'm never going to need to know the chemical compound of iron. Like, I'm never going to need to, I'm never going to use that again, ever. And, and think about it. Think about, like, math. Why does math include letters, like, isn't math supposed to be with numbers, right? So, why, like, when am I ever going to solve for X, Jovan? Never. I'm never going to have to solve for X. Why? I have Google. <laughs> like, think about it. Why, like, I would never need to solve. If I go to the bank, want to deposit my check, they don't say, um, excuse me, Mr. Morris, um, before we give you the balance to your accounts, could you please solve for X? Like, they will never ask me that. I deposit. It's a, it's a transaction. I'm done. And, and to all the educators in the room, I'm sorry. No, I'm not. I'm not sorry. We need to stop lying to our kids and telling them that the material that we're forcing them to learn is preparing them for life. Like, that's not true. Maybe deadlines, communicating properly, uh, those type of things, the disciplines, knowing about, you know, different academic areas of study. Okay, maybe some of those things are necessary. But to be honest, many of us, have learned some things, or been in an academic setting, and we have realized that we'll never use those things in life. How many agree? Well, the book of James is nothing like that. (laughs) It's, It's nothing like that. It's the complete opposite. All five chapters are relevant to us. All five chapters, every single verse, is vital to our spiritual growth and our spiritual life. See, the book of James... Um, has, uh, it's gonna give us a street level of Christianity. And everything, everything in it is designed to push us to be visible followers of Jesus, not just vocal followers of Jesus. So, Renaissance, why? Why we study in the book of James? Well, we're studying the book of James because we firmly believe that God has used. James, And we're going to learn a little bit more about which James we're talking about, but God has used James to give us a practical view of what it should look like, what we should look like. The the called out ones, the ecclesia, the church, the followers of Jesus, uh, what we should look like when we're out there visibly displaying who we're connected to. And some of us might be sitting here today saying, you know, this is, I, I mean, I, my friend invited me to church. I'm not, I'm not really doing this Christianity thing. I'm trying to figure it out. And, and I want to say, man, maybe you've had some challenges with the Christian faith primarily because the people in your network have been more vocal than visible. And unfortunately, uh, in, a day in age, this day and age, uh, believers, followers of Jesus, are more known for the things we speak out against than how we look and how we conduct our own lives yes unfortunately I think that's true we are hoping through this series through the study of the book of James we are hoping to move from the pews to the shoes y'all like that right from the tweets to the feats y'all like that I'll, I'll stop there I'll stop there that was good right you like that Man, we are really hoping that we would take all that we learn, all that God uh, has for us to garner, that we, would, that we would take it in, but we would actually live it out. A little background on James. Many of us may not be familiar with this James who wrote the book of James. Um, it's a real easy way to get them confused, uh, but we'll talk about the, the other prominent James and, and we'll make some distinctions here. Um, so the first, the, the James that I think we all might be familiar with is, is James, the son of Zebedee, and we get to see James in this particular account in the, in the, in the Gospel of Luke. Uh, Luke was uh, one of the disciples who wrote about Jesus' life, um, and we get to see uh, Jesus... Jesus and his encounter with Peter, and Peter was a a follower of Jesus, he was a disciple, but he was one of the more prominent figures, one one of the more vocal figures that we get to see in the text, Um, and we get to see this encounter. This is here how we learn about James, the son of Zebedee. Uh, Luke 5, verses 8 through 10. And, and in this particular story, just to give it some context, um, Peter and his, and his crew, they were out fishing. Um, Jesus shows up, steps in a boat, tells him to throw it, throw his net all the way on the other side. He's been out there for, for, uh, for hours. He hasn't caught anything. He finally drags in a, a couple hundred fish, and he gets there, and he sees Jesus. And this is where the story picks up in Luke 5, verses 8 through 10. When Simon Peter realized what had happened, he fell to his knees before Jesus and said oh Lord, please leave me. I'm too much of a sinner to be around you. For he was awestruck by the number of fish they had caught, as were the others with him. His partners, James and John, the sons of Zebedee, were also amazed. Jesus replied to Simon, don't be afraid. From now on, you'll be fishing for people. So this James, the son of Zebedee, was one of the disciples who, who, who were a part of that first group, that first wave of disciples that went out to turn the world upside down in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. But that's not who wrote the book of James. The person who wrote the book of James was Jesus' little brother. And we're going to take a look at that here uh, in, his, in, this, in Matthew, uh, Matthew 13, 53 uh, to 56. When Jesus had finished, and just to set up the context of this passage as well, Jesus was out doing his miraculous thing. Jesus was there doing what he does, and people and he went back home, he returned home and it was in a place where people just really stopped believing like they couldn't they couldn't believe that this dude, Jesus, this person that they had seen and known. Uh, was, was doing all these miracles. They really So, so the Bible talks about it where the, miracles uh, didn't happen in this part of the country uh, when Jesus was setting it up. And let's pick up in Matthew 13. When Jesus had finished telling these stories and illustrations, he left that part of the country. He returned to Nazareth, his hometown. Say his hometown. When he taught there in the synagogue, synagogue is the Jewish place where people kind of had church and worshiped. Everyone was amazed and said, Where does he get this wisdom and the power to do miracles? Then they scoffed. He's just the carpenter's son. And we know Mary, his mother, and his brothers, James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas. All his sisters live right here among us. Where did he learn all these things? And this is the intro, the first introduction to the little brother. Uh, James, who, who wrote the book. Now, uh, I don't know, how many of you have brothers or sisters, little brothers or sisters, or, or a close friend? Maybe you don't have brother or sister, but a close friend. Like, what would that close friend or that brother or sister need to do to convince you that they were God? Yeah, some of y'all just started laughing. Like, the same, the same little brother that, that threw the vegetables behind the table or behind the fridge or fed stuff to the dog, right? The same little brother that wet the bed or picked his nose, right? Am I bugging? That same, like all of us have had, uh, you know, maybe a, a little brother or, or, or a sister that, that it would take an, an act of two gods to believe that they had some sort of supernatural power. My sister, I have a little sister. Uh, I have three sisters, actually. I don't have any biological brothers, but... A lot of brothers, right? Where are my brothers at? Nope. Yep. This is a few of us. Sorry, ladies. It's just a few of us. We're working on it. Um, but, but my little sister, she's, she's cool. And my little sister, we're about eight years apart. And she, she follows me. And when I was younger, it was cool to kind of have her around. But if she had to try to convince me that she was God, my little sister is allergic to dairy. She has really bad asthma, right? She would have had to drink milk for a day. She would have had to eat grilled cheese, right? She would have had to take the EpiPen and, like, waste it, break it over her knee or something, drive to the hospital, hook herself up to a monitor, like, all while giving birth. No, I don't know. Like she, <laughs> like, she would have had to do something supernatural to convince me that she was the God of the universe. Man, and that's where James was. James watched Jesus live a very practical boy-to-a-man life, and we get to see, we get to glean the wisdom from Jesus' little brother watching him display to the world, even having to convince his family that he was God. Man, what greater text to study. I don't think there's anything greater than to see a very practical, real description a display of what we should look like those of us who desire to follow jesus now by way of introduction i want to use a quick analogy all right i want to use a quick story and this is how it goes imagine a dad who gets up early in the morning on a weekend to work out and he realizes his house is a mess the, the garbage is overflowing, the bathroom's not clean, uh, the dishes are in the sink, and he realizes that his wife is coming home from a business trip, um, and the dad has, his kids are 17, 14, and 3, that just happens to be what I have, I'm just saying, I don't, I don't know, this is not me, by the way. But his wife is coming home from the business trip, and he realizes, yo, she gets really angry if the house is messed up when she comes home. So he writes a letter to the kids. He rallies the kids. He gets the kids together. He says, hey, kids, guess what? Um, I love staying up really late watching Netflix. And, man, I know it's sad. Mommy's going to come home and boss us around. I know it's tough. Don't get upset. But, it, I mean, she has to come home. Come on, kids. Don't, don't get too mad. Um, but guess what? When Mommy comes home, we have to have the house clean. She, you know she really doesn't like when the house is a mess, I have to go to work uh, tomorrow, but I've already taken care of the bathroom. Don't worry about that. But here's what I need you to do. I need you guys to clean up the rest of the house. Uh, I need you to clean the living room, empty all the garbages, wash the dishes, put all the toys in the rightful place. You know how she can get about those toys. And knock it all out before I come home from work tomorrow. So dad leaves. He wakes up the next morning. He goes to work. He comes home, and nothing's done. Like, everything is exactly where he left it. So he calls the team huddle. Yo, everybody get in the living room now. That's what I would, That's how I would do it. Everybody come right now. I would try to look like I was angry, too, like, no. Everybody, even the three-year-old, you can help. Everybody's sitting on the couch, and the dad says, kids, did you get my letter? Did you read the letter? Did you read what I left for you to do, the instructions? The kids respond, yeah, dad. It was amazing. The way you detail what you learned was great. We even read it to each other out loud. Oh, and I particularly like that you said you would take care of the bathroom. This is amazing that you would take care of the bathroom for us. Man, you are an incredible dad. But as a dad, the dad sits back and he, he looks puzzled. And then the oldest child jumps up. Yeah, dad, we took it very seriously. We spent most of the day studying the letter. We never really thought about cleaning like this. We started researching how other cultures clean. We even thought about how generations before us cleaned their homes. Your letter really got us thinking. We could start a cleaning group and we could start cleaning in a gospel-centered way. Dad, I was so moved by your letter that I called some friends, and I, each, I even had a Bible study about cleaning. Like, we really talked about what it would look like to clean and honor Jesus and honor our parents while we were cleaning. We even, we even thought about starting an after-school group that we could just talk about cleaning and study in your letter. Thanks, Dad. And Dad is like, yo, what, you, like, what happened? Did you guys clean? And I know you're asking, hey, what was the point of that story? Well, we are like the kids. We study the Bible. We think about it. We talk about God. We talk about the things of God. But do we actually clean? Have we actually stepped out and put some legs to the things that we believe? Is there something in your marriage, in your relationship, in your friendship, in your walk, At your workplace, maybe your neighbor, is there something that deep down inside there was a a voice, a whisper encouraging you to move, and the only thing that you had motivating you was your faith in Jesus, and you have yet to do it. Have we cleaned the house, or are we still just amazed by the letter? And man, what we're hoping is by studying the book of James that Renaissance would be a people that are known in our community for our practical application of our faith. For the practical application of our faith. Listen to this. Make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. How are you doing with forgiving others? How's that look? You just bury it under a rug, and and you're still holding and harboring some emotions? Well, the text tells us, as a follower of Jesus, because we've been forgiven, that we must go out and forgive. Man, let's be the challenge, the encouragement, the exhortation for us is to be a a people who practically live out the things that we believe and know. And I want to make a quick point. I don't think that it's bad to study. And I'm not saying, I'm not giving us license. There may be some of us sitting here and say, you see, that's why I don't read the Bible. I don't even need to read it. (laughs) Like, I'm going to just go out and do my Jesus stuff. Well, no, there's a combination. We're talking about the holistic application of your faith. So you have to be knowledgeable about what God is teaching us through the text. You have to know the text, but then you also have to do what it says. And I love how James says, don't just be hearers of the word, be doers of the word. Let's jump into the text if we can. James 1, 19 through 27. Uh, Verse, give me a second. All right. So in James 1, verses 19 through 21 uh, the point I want to make here, there's, there's three points I want to get through with this text. One, God has set us apart. Say that. God has set us apart. One more time. God has set us apart. Say God has set us apart. And what I love about this is that we get a chance to see that we are supposed to be different. How... Uh, Man, I don't have that text here. Is that text up? Is the text there? Do you have that James 1 text? Could you put that up? That 19 to 21? Verses verses 19 through 21 talk about God. uh, There it is. Talks about being slow, uh, slow to anger, quick to listen. And what I love about that passage is how we listen to people... And being slow to anger connects us to God, because God is slow to anger. And here's what's cool. If we were to be honest, many of us offend God. right? Many of us have offended God, and we, and, we offend, and we offend God constantly. But the difference is God is slow to anger. And many of us, we're sitting here today, I know we can point out times that we've gotten mad at somebody. We've blown up about something that was very menial. And I'm going to tell myself just a little bit, um, you know, we, we had a, a, a someone staying with us and for a period of time, for about a year or two, um, and we still get that person's mail. And we just do it, we're doing an overhaul because my wife and I are having a baby, and she's laughing right now because I'm about to tell her myself, but... But we were doing an overhaul, and his mail somehow got mixed up. Now, I was responsible for making sure he got his mail. Y'all know how that feels, right? You're responsible for giving this person the mail? And, and, and I was like, okay, I looked for it, I looked for it, couldn't find it. Maybe it got mixed up in this stuff. And so I got angry. <laughs> I got angry at her. I said, you probably threw it away. You probably messed, like, where is it? where is it? And she's laughing the whole time. She's laughing at me, watching me get angry. Man, and I'm going to be honest, uh, now reflecting on it, it was such a menial thing, but I got so angry at her that I had to go in the room, close the door. Like, I couldn't talk to her for 37 seconds. (laughs) Like, I really couldn't. I was that angry. And the fact that she was laughing, I was like, yo, you did it. You did it on purpose, too. Like, you know, I'm blaming her for everything. Man, slow to anger. That's one of the most practical ways we can live out that we are followers of Jesus. Um, I, love, uh, I, I, I love how in uh, Matthew 18, 23 to 35, it says this, Therefore the kingdom of heaven can be compared to a king who decided to bring his accounts up to date with servants who had borrowed money from him. In the process, one of his debtors was brought in, who owed him millions of dollars he couldn't pay. So his master ordered that he be sold along with his wife, his children, and everything he owned to pay the debt. But the man fell down before his master and begged him, please be patient with me and I will pay it all. Then his master was filled with pity for him and he released him and forgave his debt. But when the man left the king, he went to a fellow servant who owed him a few thousand dollars He grabbed him by the throat and demanded instant payment. His fellow servant fell down before him and begged for a little more time. Be patient with me and I will pay it, he pleaded. But his creditor wouldn't wait. He had the man arrested and put in prison until the debt could be paid in full. And man, many of us read that story like, yo, that's sad. This dude owed millions of dollars and could never pay it and the king forgave him. He sees someone that owes him thousands of dollars, chokes him up, and throws him in jail. How are we doing with the application of what we learn? And here in this scripture, I think God is teaching us, man, uh, I am merciful. I, I abound in forgiveness. And so if you're going to be my children, if you're going to be my followers, then you should look the same. And so God has set us apart. He's called us away from the the mundane and the movement of culture, the way culture would perceive situations, the way culture would act. God has extracted us from that so we can actually look different. We've been called out to look different. Second point is God wants us to be active. God wants us to be active. See, I think that being in full-time ministry is one of the toughest ways to be fully active, uh, to really show how practical you can be. But I'm going to tell you a story about a young man. Uh, uh, We got a chance in Young Life. We take middle schoolers to camp. It's called Wildlife. Um, And we took one middle schooler to camp, and he's Muslim. And what I love about this dude is he was really excited to go. He knew it was a Christian camp, knew we were going to be talking about Jesus. He was really, really excited to go, but he couldn't really explain why. Long story short, at the end of the camp, he gives his life to Jesus. And for any of us who know, right, uh, being in a Muslim family, he's West African, uh, being, being ingrained in kind of that culture, to, to now say that you believe in Jesus is problematic. Problematic. Well, what he does is he comes home, Uh, we have something we call campaigners where you get a chance to study uh, the Bible and explore and ask some questions. So he comes home, he engages in some activity with us for a little while, and you know what he does? He goes home, and he finally tells his dad that he believes in Jesus. (laughs) This kid is in middle school. He's in middle school. He had an encounter with the God of the universe, and he goes and he tells his parents, who were born and raised, and I'm sure their parents were born and raised in the Muslim tradition, and he goes home and he says, I believe that Jesus Christ died for my sins. Yo, in some countries, you can die for that. Do do we know that? In some countries, you can be beheaded for that. God wants us to be active. And see, in this passage where James is teaching us, he's talking about the person who who looks in a mirror and walks away and forgets how they look. And for some of us, that might be challenging to understand. Well, first, there was no Ikea. There were no selfie sticks, right? Like, you couldn't really look at yourself all the time. They used, uh, like, metal, shiny metal to be able to see themselves. And everyone didn't have access to the shiny metal, so you couldn't really just see yourself every single day. So what James is saying, when you do get a chance to see so it was very possible for someone to see themselves and then actually forget what they looked like. But what James is saying, it's not about the amount of times that you see yourself in the mirror, it's the attention that you pay when you actually look. How deeply are you examining yourself in your life that you pay attention to how you're living out your faith with your coworkers or your neighbor? Or your family. Like, or are you the person that goes to church, looks in the mirror, and then goes and lives life like everybody else? Man, God wants us to be active. Point three, say no. Everybody say no. Say no to armchair activism. See, we are more vocal than we are visible. We are known. As followers of Christ, oftentimes, for what we speak out against. And what I think James is teaching us is how to be uh, the visible image of an invisible God. How we could be God's hands and feet out in the neighborhood. The last few passages uh, of of that James 1 text talks about uh, taking care of orphans and widows. And so, man, your theology, you may not know how to explain that God and Jesus is the same person, but you could take care of an orphan. You may not understand how to explain, like, the Holy Spirit. You may not be deep in understanding those things, but you could actually go out and be God's hands and feet to someone who needs it. You can be a helping hand. You can be an ear. Say no to armchair activism. Many of us post things, we retweet this great story about somebody taking care of kids in Brooklyn when you live in Brooklyn yourself or you live in Harlem yourself. You could go, you could step out into the community and actually put your faith in action. Here's the bottom line. The bottom line to James 1 is application makes all the difference. Application makes all the difference. Application is where transformation happens. There may be some of us sitting here today saying, As one, look, like I read, I, I, I talk about God. I'm also trying to do that out in the world, like in, 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 in my settings, in my circles, in my networks. I'm, I'm actually doing that. Or at least I'm trying. What, what more do you want me to do? Well, I believe that when our lives are transformed by the application of what we learn, man, you begin to not have those worries. You begin to not ask those questions. Why? Because the transformation is happening, and people just get to see it. And people begin to ask, Yo, you, you sound different today. What's happening? Oh, I don't know. I spent some time with Jesus. Now, don't say that. That's kind of cheesy. Don't say that. But if it's true, if it's true, say it. But the bottom line is application. Doing is what makes the difference. Not believing, not hearing, not listening, not note-taking, not elbow-poking, not all these other things. Doing is what makes all the difference. At the end of Jesus' most famous sermon, the Sermon on the Mount where he went up and he was talking to a group of disciples and he's actually detailing to them what it looks like to be a disciple in Matthew 5, if you ever want to read it. Jesus ends, and it goes from like Matthew 5 to Matthew 7. Listen to what Jesus says while he's up there. He says, therefore, he ends it. He ends it this in Matthew 7, uh, verse 24. He ends it with this. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. I'm going to read it again. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his work on the rock. And Jesus knew back in his day, like the Old Testament, you had to study that as a boy. The Jews had, you had to memorize and know the first five books of the Bible. If we could name the first five books of the Bible, we'd be all right. And some of us could, but there's many of us that can't. I couldn't at a time. And, and, and Jesus is telling them, he says, look, all of that information you learned as a kid, all the times that you come to to, to Renaissance and you get good studies and we study about the word and we talk about the word, all the stuff that's packed into your heart and packed into your mind, let it motivate you to go out and be the visible image of an invisible God. Renaissance, we want to be people who don't just hear the word, but we're doers of the word. And here's why. The biggest motivation to be a a doer of the word, not just a hearer of the word, is because Jesus was a doer of the word. Romans 5.8 says this, but God showed. In some translation it says, but God demonstrated his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. What if Jesus just sat around saying, yo God, you know what? I think that's a dope idea. I think we should go rescue them. I really think we should. Yeah, God, that would be amazing. Yo, we could come in on a helicopter. You could drop me out of a helicopter. I could come in on a stalk, maybe. I could ride in on a a cloud. What if Jesus stayed in that moment and just conversed with God only and actually never made it to the cross? Man, God demonstrated. God showed his love in this that Christ went to the cross he bore the sin of the entire world he paid a price that you and I owed and he didn't and he went to the cross and he hung and he demonstrated the greatest act of love that we have the world has ever seen what is the last act of love you demonstrated? What is the last demonstration of your faith that the people around you have encountered? Man, our hope as we get to study these five books and we study these verses is that we remember James is exhorting us to be doers of the word, not just hearers of the word. Let me pray. God, thank you so much for your demonstration of loving us. Thank you for putting on skin, meeting us in our mess, bearing it, owning it as if it was yours, extending to us your goodness and your holiness and your righteousness and paying the price for sin that only we owed. Lord, thank you for bringing us back into relationship with you. Father, help us be people who do what the word says. Help us be people who forgive. Help us be people who are quick to listen, slow to get angry. God, help us be people who who love others more than we love ourselves. Who serve others before we serve ourselves. Help us be people who take care of orphans and widows Help us be people who give voice to the voiceless, who bring hope to the hopeless, who help those who are helpless. God, help us be the visible image of you right here in our Harlem community. In Jesus' name, amen.